You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hello, Limited Upside fans. This is Todd Vanderwerf. I am here with a listening recommendation for you. It's my podcast. I think you're interesting. Every week I talk to some of the most interesting people who are shaping arts and entertainment culture, and the media. Names you might know, names you might not know. Some of our recent guests have included Academy Award-winning documentarian Errol Morris, David Lowry, director of A Ghost Story, and some of my favorite film critics discussing their favorite summer movies of the 21st century. You can find I Think You're Interesting on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Ben Epstein. He's here with Mike Pareda, as always. He's back, and we're here together. And today we were doing the Portland Trailblazers season preview for these limited upside season previews we've been doing all summer long. We hope you've been listening and enjoying them. Today was one of our best. Uh, I'm not just saying that. It was a really fun one. Brian Freeman and Peter Sampson from Blazers Edge joined us. They're one of our most passionate and generally knowledgeable SB Nation communities. They're all knowledgeable. These guys are over and above. Brian was a former player over in Europe, so he actually knows the game from a personal touch level, not like Mike and I who sit on the sidelines and talk about the numbers and just watch the game on TV. He's actually played it, so it was cool to get his perspective. Um, they're also guys who know their radio talking, too. Uh, Peter has his own radio show, and I'm sure you guys will be looking out for that. We're going to promote that as well, so listen to that if you're on the uh, Blazers fandom there. So before you do that, though, and any of the listening here, we always ask you for a few things, and, and we do appreciate it. Um, you can subscribe, rate, review, all those good things for this podcast. You can find that on the Apple Podcast, Spotify, uh, and SBNation.com backslash NBA, anywhere you get it. This is a podcast that's part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. There's lots of great podcasts there, all kinds of sports, all kinds of interest points, politics, food, you name it. So go check those out as well. We always love uh, you know, promoting the guys who are, and women who are a big part of what we do here from a podcasting standpoint. And we feel like there's a lot of great voices, so go listen to those. Um, with the feedback that we like, when we get those, you'll hear throughout the podcast, we answer the questions. We always get to those. And you can shoot those questions to us on Twitter at Mike Prada SBN at limited underscore upside and at EpiBen. You can also email Mike. It's Mike Prada at SBNation.com. We love getting the questions. It helps us. We need these questions. You fuel this podcast. So thank you so much to our listeners. Uh, we our friends. I don't, I don't like calling listeners. They're our friends. They, they promote this podcast with their tremendous questions. So we appreciate that. Um, and this is a great one. Sit back and enjoy. This is the Portland Trailblazers limited upside Summer season preview. Enjoy. We're back. With the limited upside team preview series number 17 of 30, the Portland Trailblazers, who technically made the playoffs last year, had a late push to get there. Then they did a bunch of nothing this summer. I don't know what these guys did to create content on Blazers Edge this summer because like, they did almost nothing until the Allen Crab trade. Brian Freeman, uh, he played overseas for eight years. He's a member of Blazers Edge. Uh you know, we also got Peter Sampson, who runs Blazers Edge Radio on. Hey, what station is that on? 107.1 X-Ray FM. Ooh, okay. So we got them both on. So what did you guys do this summer with the Blazers doing nothing? Well, we had uh, we had a couple little gimmicks. We had a uh, like a three-on-three tournament where you vote on each matchup and see the best all-time tree over the Blazers. Um, 
just just things like that, some kind of gimmick gimmicky things that kind of got a lot of hits and a lot of uh, a lot of attention. Yeah, basically the radio show immediately turned into a wacky morning zoo with fart jokes and prank phone calls. Oh, really? No, not 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 not, not <laughs> actually, but uh, not that just sounds exciting. <laughs> <laughs> No, but not a lot. Not a lot. Blazers related to talk about this summer. I guess that's better than negative stuff to, to like some of the other podcasts we've started off with, right, Mike? Like this is not the Bulls podcast, and we're already a minute in, so that's good. Yeah, it's a high bar to climb. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, they kind of. So last year they they slip into the eight seed with an eighteen and five finish, in after acquiring Yusuf Nurkic, and then because they spent so much money the previous summer to. Uh, keep their team together, and they're way over the luxury tax. They had pretty much no means to improve the team without paying massive luxury tax bills, and therefore they drafted, they trade down the draft to draft Zach Collins. They draft, or, or they trade up, excuse me, to draft Zach Collins. They get Caleb Swanigan late in the summer. They trade Alan Crabb to Brooklyn to save money, and that was their summer pretty much. So usually we have a lot to talk about there, but I mean, I think the first place to start is you know curious what you think peter and then brian go ahead like so with not much going on after the season that they had that was perhaps a little disappointing but at least was salvaged by a playoff berth in a word what's the mood of the blazers fan base right now apprehensive i think is the best way to describe blazers fans right now you know the the strong finish really did a lot to energize what was clearly a lost season i mean the team wasn't only bad they just looked disinterested through the winter into early spring, Nurkic came along, got the fans re-energized. But but the thing is, is it wasn't necessarily just Nurkic. You know, Portland had the second easiest schedule um, over the last 20, 25 games of the season. We've lost Alan Crabb. Not that he was a big producer, but anytime someone shoots 44% from three, that that's an, like an outlet valve that someone has to account for. We don't have that, and we didn't necessarily – replace that threat on the perimeter so i think the blazer fans are a little bit nervous they're they're really hopeful that yusuf nurkic is gonna continue to do that he the things that he did last year but the western conference has gotten a lot stronger and it's 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 going to be tough i mean if i was going to use the word i'd kind of go with the word stalled uh i mean two years two years ago you know got to the second round there was some momentum coming this season and the last year was just kind of a dud and you kind of Fans were looking around at the roster and it's like, why do we have this second highest payroll for a team that can't hit 500 again and is in trouble for the next couple of years? And so last year was pretty difficult for most of the year. And, and then as Peter touched on earlier, Nurkic comes in, uh, you know, we're awesome at the end of the uh, end of the season and, you know, making the playoffs. Of course, Nurkic gets hurt, but uh, that at least kind of gives some uh, some hope for this season that maybe in the middle of the season last year wasn't there. It kind of feels like Nurkic was the off-season move, right? Just in in season, sort of like what the Wizards did the year before with Morris, uh, in a way. Um, I, I want to get you guys' thoughts, uh, and I guess this is kind of a let's level set for a second. Would you call last season a disappointment, or just is making the playoffs something that last year was a big enough building block, given that the turnover on the roster was so minimal? Yeah, last year was absolutely a disappointment. You look at the year before where they, they made the second round, and granted, that was sort of fool's gold. Blake Griffin and Chris Paul both got hurt in, in the first-round series that Portland won. But that season, that was a team that had lost basically six of their seven top players. You know, They finished above 500. They had a nice, successful season. And then they really took a step backwards. And it wasn't even necessarily just the 41-41 and 41 finish. It was... 
the complete lack of interest in playing defense. It was a real stagnant product that the Nurkic arrival sort of turned around to a degree. But but even regardless of what Nurkic did on the floor and what he did for the fan base, it, you, you would have to say that it was a disappointing season. Mm-hmm. See, I find this question interesting because this happens all the time to these teams that come out of nowhere. And they're fun and full of energy the year before. And they're a breath of fresh air, and they exceed expectations. And then, especially with Portland, because of what they did this summer, they said, okay, we had a much better season than we expected. Our path now back to being even better than that is to literally keep everybody together, no matter the cost. And like, I think it's kind of natural that the fade happens. I think we were, a lot of people, including me, were sort of drinking a little bit of the juice and saying, well, it's just going to continue. And have this free-flowing way about it and everybody's going to stay happy all the all the sort of playing time issues that maybe would have will crop up with teams like this that get too stale are not going to crop up you know we have great leadership and our team is young and we're not going to have these money issues all these things that sort of contribute to the lethargy that you were talking about peter and then well it kind of happened but at the end of the day like the team that happened two year the two years ago team probably wasn't in as good or happy a position as we thought. And on the flip side, I think as of right now, we may they may not be in as bad a position as we thought, or maybe that that's sort of an off sort of thing. I think that just sometimes happens with these teams as a surprise. And now it's especially problematic for Portland because not only uh, are they the same team, but they're pretty much stuck as being the same team because of all the money they shelled out. Yeah, they're they're absolutely locked in. I mean, they're they're capped out. They need to sign Nurkic to an extension. This this is the team, barring a a, a major trade uh, that somehow works out in Portland's favor, and, and it might. We look we look at the trade that they made last year, which was basically their big offseason move, picking up Nurkic. I mean, this this is the squad. What do you think, Greg? Uh, I mean, we love hearing about those mellow rumors and those. Um, oh know, yeah, pre Paul George, <laughs> George rumor, but I mean that's just. Even if we were to get Melo in some, you know, we're not going to get him. But even if we did, I mean, that still doesn't better us in the top top tier of players or top tier teams in the West and close. But at the same time, we're, we're way better than the teams at the bottom. Um, so you hear people you hear people talk about teams that are kind of stuck in the middle, but no, normally those aren't teams that are way over the cap. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's what's interesting. Do you th- do you agree with the read that like maybe things weren't as good as they we people got a little ahead of themselves last summer and then now maybe we're we've walked back a little too far oh absolutely i mean i think uh you know when when portland did you know as peter said you know made it the second round kind of fool's goldish um there was definitely a lot of skepticism into what team portland actually was and i think last year you know and another thing that that kind of gets missed is a lot of people got paid a lot of people got paid that you know, maybe shouldn't have gotten paid. And, you know, I've seen, I've seen it before personally where people, you know, are in the gym putting in extra hours, getting extra shots every single day and doing all this stuff until they, they get what they're, what they're going for. And then they get it. And it's not that they quit or try less hard, but you're not putting that extra eight hours a week in the gym like you were before they got you there. And, and that makes a difference. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's exactly what happened, but and there's a good chance that, you know, there's a little bit of that, Financial carryover. You could just say Evan Turner is doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and, but there's a couple other. Like, he's not the only yeah, one that got right. paid. 
No, they they have plenty. I'm looking at the salaries right now, and it's interesting because the top oh, two players. And, and this is not always. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to give you one one point. We do all these these team previews, and Mike and I unearth all of these just wacky salaries that are almost forgotten at this point. Uh, but that obviously are, are um, albatrosses on on the franchises. But with that being said, like usually or in some cases, it's a random player. It is not the best player on the team. I'm not random, but like a guy who is just definitely not the best player. At least with the Blazers, their top two highest paid players are their two best players. You know, so that's good. But other than those, do you get a reward for that? I don't know. At least it's the money's <laughs> not in, in a horrible place with those two cornerstones. Without, yeah, but the only like, problem, but I, they're almost in a worse position though because I feel like I feel like when where you really get killed in the league is where you're paying your, you know, seventh man 10 million a year because of a cap spike and all that. Well, no, part of this, and, and not to get too into the logistics of the, of the contracts and whatnot, but teams that have had the most luck with obvious, you know, a John Wall contract prior to the extension, the Steph Curry contract, like you have to have that great player who's well under the market value as well as not having that $10 million Miles Leonard or Mo Harkless, you know, or Evan Turner at seventeen million, but that, oh. none, but nonetheless, sorry about that, guys. I didn't, I didn't want. <laughs> I just, I, I'm, I moved Evan, Evan Turner. He was, you know, the um, the number two pick in the draft when the Sixers had no other true options at that time. Although obviously, I'm sure there were other players they they could have taken, but uh, he ruined the franchise for a while, and his oh. attitude was, was worse than his game. Um, Jeez, he wasn't with, that bad, dude. He was terrible in the Sixers, oh, and he right, didn't help I'll, anyone. All right, anyway, all right. Don't push the buttons, Mike. Uh, <laughs> Let's get let's get back on on topic, but we should probably get to McCollum and Lillard because we've gotten this far without really talking in depth about those two. Um, so Mike wants to know are they destined to stay together forever? And and ultimately, I'd love to know because I'm all about what the fan base is thinking. Is that universally what you guys, what the fan base wants? Um, and ultimately, the other thing is is that chip on the shoulder that Lillard kind of provides for the team, what the fan base thrives on as well. Uh, I would say. So as far as the Lillard McComb question, yes, uh, I, I think I'm I'm as huge on every uh, as anybody on both of them. Their their talents are are awesome, phenomenal. But there's you know the the obvious statement there is there's a lot of um, talent that kind of doesn't mesh very well. So your, your talent level is great, but they don't complement each other. That's offensively you you really struggle with that with that backcourt. Um, so for me, if you could if you could get somebody with the talent of one of the two players, you can bring them back at a more complimentary, complimentary skill set. Then I think you gotta you gotta look at it. But um, I mean, I, I just don't know what what trade you make that makes that a possibility. Yeah, it, it's tough. I, and to your point about the fans, I think that most fans we mentioned before we we hit the record button that there's a small contingent that is kind of ready to trade one of them and there's even talk amongst fans definitely not amongst an organization about maybe trading dame instead of cj the majority of fans though i i think they would lose their minds your casual fan they would lose their minds if, if you finally have a second you, you know star player to put next to damian lillard or vice versa and then you go ahead and move them out um and the fans do absolutely have the same chip on their shoulders man we're, we're a one-horse town uh, so many of the fans feel that they get no respect nationally, and maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But I, I think that that Portland has a little bit of the little brother syndrome. I would like to say that uh, Peter's sitting next to me in a Ed Davis jersey, so that's just kind of giving me an idea for, for the fans. Hey, represent, man! Come Ed on, Davis jersey. I think it also got yeah, definitely a generational thing here too. Like, if we all I'm, look, I'm 31. Mike's about the same age. Like, I remember the Rose Garden in, in the early 90s and the early 2000s, right? And yeah. so, like, those were times that were absolutely epic, and the fan base 
deserved all the credit that it was getting, sort of the arena. So I kind of still have that mentality before we even did this uh, planning today. Like, what was the line we said? Something like uh, one of the more passionate fan bases was just like casually how we described mm-hmm. generally the, the tone coming from the uh, Trailblazers. Kind of like how you say like someone is one of the more interesting people in your life. <laughs> it's, a <laughs> it's a compliment. Yeah. I, the, the, the Lillard McCollum thing is fascinating on so many little levels. One, because I think you guys both would agree they had great years individually last year. Both of them, even as the team was floundering. I mean, CJ had his best year, and Lillard, I think, was way better. I think Lillard deserved to make the All Star team. Uh, I think obviously their their weaknesses in both of their games that have been well discussed, but they both had terrific years individually. They both seem to like each other, and there's some sort of kinship there. So it's not like you're talking about, even though their games don't match, it's not like you're talking about any sort of personality conflicts. There's something about how they represent the area that I think is special on a level that goes beyond how many games they're winning. Uh, and I think that's, there's always a fine line. I think about this too, with my favorite team, the wizards, where there's a fine line between like, yeah, we've got guys that are poor, that are ours, but the team is 41 wins versus we've got guys that ours and they're pushing 50 wins. It's such a fine line between those two points. You look at it from last year and this year. So there's that, but at this, at the same time, you are right. They, they are kind of similar style of players. If the team is ever going to get out and to be more balanced, you know, your ceiling as a defense is just capped with those two guys starting your backcourt. You know, you can stagger them all you want, and they do that. You can do a lot of different things, but you're just never going to be able to play against. I mean, you see them when they played the Clippers before Paul and Griffin got injured. You know, one of those guys has to guard J.J. Redick. You know, even if you put someone else on on Chris Paul, I mean, you're just you're just capped. So there's that going on. Um, and I, I also just think they like each other now, but I just wonder they're – is there going to reach a point with both of them where it's like, okay, we've been spinning our wheels with this this franchise for the past X years. We both thrived individually. Like, is one of them going to get the like kind of either I want to be a guy, the guy itch, or the I want to win itch? And I feel like Portland's sort of stuck in the middle there. So there's just a lot going on with those two. That I think is really interesting. Can I can I have one more question for you guys to kind of piggyback on what Mike said and maybe turn that into sort of more of a <clears throat> a question on personalities, but. Look, can, this is a national podcast. Again, we need, we need want to know kind of what the Blazers' mentality is. What is that in the locker room? Who who is the leader of this team? Who's the vocal one, most vocal on the court? Who's the most vocal off the court? Like, kind of talk me through the hierarchy under Stotts uh, with the team. Sure. Yeah, Damian Lillard is the the undisputed leader of the team, both mm-hmm. on the court and in the locker room. Um, he's fairly quiet, fairly reserved, but but he <laughs> make make no mistake, he's he's the guy. Yeah. Uh, that being said, CJ's sort of leader one A. I would say they they really to go back to your point on the on the on the previous statement. They really do sort of vibe together, and it seems genuine. You hear about these sort of things all the time. Oh yeah, we're so tight knit. We're this. We're that. I want to trade. And you know, both of these guys, you know, they live in Portland year round. They brought their families up here. They're 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 really bought in. And of course, things can change, but I don't necessarily see it happening anytime soon. That being said, you know, you know, CJ is a leader uh, in the locker room and on the court, but even he sort of defers to Dame as far as what we can see uh, on the court and what some of our our guys that have a little more access to the team have been able to see as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, and I think uh, you know, 
agreeing with what he said, uh, except to the point, I would say Dame is one and CJ's, CJ's not. He's he's two, legitimately number two. You know, I I, I think Dame is the voice. He's the face. I mean, you know, he comes up with that, that hashtag they. You know, he's just he's a silent guy, but he's a really big personality. I think when they overachieved, I think a lot of that was kind of his voice and his toughness and his mentality that you know people were able to kind of jump on and and got infectious in that locker room. It was really good for him. Yeah, he's, that's very cool. He's certainly not shy about making you know taking this stuff on. I think it's what he wants, Lillard. Yeah, you know, he's certainly not shy about being the face of the franchise publicly. He certainly faces the music when things are going bad. Like he, if you look at it just like kind of at a distance, like he is kind of the perfect leader. And yet, obviously, the team badly underachieved last year, or maybe not badly, but they underachieved, as you guys have said. It was they didn't take the step forward that they needed to. Lillard still has as good a player as he is. He's kind of got the same holes in his game, right? I mean, he's still. We haven't seen much indication that his defense has improved. And I just I just I'm watching that that question that that duo interestingly because I just right now it looks like it works really well and I think it's a real source of pride for Portland. And frankly, they're so much fun to watch that like I kind of don't want them to ever split up. Like I just love watching both of them play and I love being able to turn on Portland and know I'm gonna be entertained with like there's something about from a national perspective. You get two league pass. You get two league pass good great players to watch in one game on one team. I like I like knowing they're like, hey, Portland is that team for me. There's there and that team in the league. Like that's what they're known for. But you know, ambition is a really interesting thing. I just wonder how long that will keep up, especially if, as we talked about earlier, there's not a great avenue for this team to really significantly improve, barring someone unexpected turning into a hell of a player. And, and on that note, Nurkic was turning into a really good player by the end of the season, and so we wanted to get you know you guys' opinion on. Is this and Brian, you first here. You you know you play professional hoops. You've you've seen this personally. Maybe it even happened to you uh, within your career, within your you know your college career at Long Beach State. Shout out to Long Beach State. We both went there, um, and we both tore our Achilles, from what I've understood. So uh, the whole <laughs> podcast knows we have some some kinship. Having oh, this good. still be the first so, time. So we've I can get to. a new host now, and nobody will notice the difference. <laughs> That's right. Uh, been replaced already. Um, <laughs> the only difference is you'd have an actual basketball player on the podcast with you now. Um, but with that in mind, um, Brian, give us some insight into uh, you know what it takes when players find the right spot for them, for the right situation so they can thrive. Um, and talk about a little bit uh, how Nurkic has really been that guy. You know, one thing people talk about fit. And when you talk about fit, a lot of times they talk about on the basketball court, you know, looking at the depth chart and the skills, like how's that fit? But I would say that's 50% of it. And the other 50% is of the fit is how you fit within like the atmosphere of the team. I mean, you get, I've, I've seen, I've played on teams where, where guys don't like each other generally. And will you know, when the ball's in there, they want it to miss. Like when they don't have the support from other players and other people on their team, you know, that, that wears on you. That's another hurdle you have to, you know, you have to get by to, to succeed. And I don't know exactly how the, um, the Nuggets, Nurkic situation was, but, you know, he felt underappreciated. You know, he felt undervalued. Um, there was a little rift. You know, he comes over to this Portland team that's kind of, you know, maybe a little lethargic and kind of looking for someone to kind of, you know, ramp things up a little bit. And he comes into this situation and the gates are wide open for him. I mean, Plumlee just left. The, the starting center before he got there was Myers Leonard. So he had every single avenue to succeed and people were actually counting on him. And I think that was just a breath of fresh air for him. And, you know, he took full advantage of it. Everybody in Portland wanted him to succeed and, expected him to play and play a lot and I think that just um 
you know, for his fit, you know, atmosphere wise, uh, was just per- was just a perfect situation. He's so different from Mason Plumley. He's just. It went on the like on the court. Like, it, was it as simple as just like, "Hey, we've got a big guy that can actually catch and finish at the rim." Like, what, what, uh, what was he able to do? The other thing, he's a way better passer. Or he showed he's a way better passer than I thought. Like, what is it that he provided on the court that really changed things for Lillard and McCollum? Because they seem to really like playing with him. Yeah. So the thing about Mason Plumley, and I and I need to preface this with I I love Mason Plumley. And I don't think there's another player in the NBA that maximizes his natural talent more than Mason Plumlee. Yeah, he, he has a he, nice personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's not interesting. that good <laughs> at the NBA level. Um, Mason Plumlee was a very good passer, very good passer. But that's all he could do. It's all he could do. He, he couldn't finish unless he was putting up a, a two-hand reverse dunk. He was a little bit undersized, a little bit uh, short-armed on defense. He just – he just wasn't a good fit and he's just not a high level player. And and here's Nurkic. Honestly, Nurkic still struggles with a lot of things, but being put into this high octane offense where you all of a sudden you have this big 280 pound, if we're being generous body who loves setting hard screens, who can roll to the rim. Even if he doesn't really, he hasn't really shown the finishing ability yet. He just naturally knows what to do. He's willing to find the open guy just like Plumley is, but he's an actual threat to, to score. So defenders have to ca- kind of body up on him a little bit more. And I mean, kind of kind of what Brian said about about fit. I mean, it, it's it's perfect because Nurkic felt underappreciated. He, he walked right into a situation where, you know, the, the season was so disappointing. And Mason Plumley, regardless of how much he maximized his natural talent, fans were desperate. For a quality good man, a quality big man to come in and help out. And that's why you, you saw the team excel. So, you know, Mason Plumley did what he could, and Nurkic was a pleasant surprise. I, I It was a surprise to a lot of people. I certainly think he's always had that capability. He just needed that opportunity. How does that front court look, guys? How does that front court look with Swanigan and Collins and Leonard and 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 I'm assuming that Aminu and uh, and guys like Noah Vonley are going to play. Obviously, and we haven't talked about Ed Davis. And, and, and Ed Davis, I'm so Man. sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's on me. That's totally on me for forgetting Ed Davis. Right it's now. okay. I, He's easy to lose in the shuffle. <laughs> but the idea is, there's, I think I just named five guys. How does that shake out? How's that play out? Well, here's here's how the team looks right now. If you're looking at the top eleven, so Harkless is a three, but he plays a lot of four. Aminu is pretty much a four. So you're looking at that roster, you're probably your top 11. You have Ed Davis, Aminu, who's, you know, interior, Harkless, who's a 3-4. Now you have Zach Collins, Swanigan, Myers Leonard, Nurkic, and Von Ley. So that's your that's your run court. That's eight of your top 11 guys, which, I mean, if we want to get in the draft, you can talk about how we missed on that. But, I mean, eight of your top – all you have is Dane, CJ, and Turner that can play the 1-2. And after that, you start getting the really second-year players. So – how does that I mean that, that looks really deep and, and maybe a big problem this season? I think that I think that uh, Coach Stotts is really gonna try to divvy minutes up amongst everyone, just hoping that one or two of these guys pop so you can move them. You can move them. I mean, obviously he just rattled off so many names. I mean, I can't even keep track. Gotta consolidate that at, at some level. I mean, on on one hand, all those guys do, well, except for maybe Myers Leonard, deserve some sort of level of playing time, but none of them deserves a lot of playing time. So they're <laughs> gonna have to consolidate that somehow. 
hey, they're zagging when everyone else is zigging. That's what you can come back to. You can say <laughs> that they do it. They're so small, they fill up on fourth and five. <laughs> Eight of them. Uh, just to close the Nurkic loop, uh, N.O. Carter, one of our longtime listeners, you can always send us questions to ask our team experts and us if you want to hear our opinions <laughs> for whatever reason. Uh, at limited underscore upside. You got someone, one of you all mentioned the uh, extension situation. Uh, he is eligible for one as of October 31st, um, right? I, I, he's in that class. I'm, I'm Again, I don't do my research, so I don't know these things. But um, uh, what number? We'll edit, we'll edit that last part out. Where Mike said no, no, it's okay. What, uh, N.O. Carter asks, what numbers does Nurkic have to put up for the Blazers just to feel comfortable and for you to feel comfortable about signing him to a long-term deal? Okay, I'm going to say 60, 65. And by numbers, I mean games played. I mean, okay. it's, it's just got to just gotta stay healthy. I mean, that, that's that's everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll piggyback on that. And I think games played is a big one. I'm, I'm more concerned with 78 games missed in three years than I am with the attitude when Mike Malone completely mismanaged him. And, and then obviously he was behind a better player in, Yo- in Jokic at a certain point. But... Uh, staying healthy. Um, a lot of people are talking about potentially maxing Nurkic or giving him 20. I don't see that. It makes way more sense. No, to market, let re- no market for that. Yeah, it, who needs a center? I mean, you look at the Nerlens Noel situation. Let him go into restricted free agency, see what the market is. Um, but as, barring a catastrophic injury or him completely reverting back to last season in Denver, I see him getting a long-term deal. I can't express enough how revitalized uh, the, the entire city of Portland was upon his arrival. It was it was amazing. The entire city of Portland, huh? Yes. Well, I guess there is I only one. Perfect. There's only one game in town, so. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's important. Got to have a lot of characters. Got to have that. I think he's the only Europe. Is he the only foreigner on the team? I think he's the only yeah. European guy on the team, right? Yeah. So you yeah, got to have American. that. All American guy. All American team. But uh, no, it's it's good to have that uh, that flavor here. We uh we should get into. Neil O'Shea and, and, and Stotts a little bit here, and then we'll, we'll finish this first part of the uh, podcast and get to the fun stuff in the back half. So let's, let's end this first half here, guys, with the trust factor. Um, where does that lie right now with, with management and with the coaching staff? Okay, well, I mean, with, with O'Shea, you talk to a lot of fans and a lot of the Blazer heads, and um, it's not super high, uh, the, the trust and appreciation we have for him. Right. Um, I mean, he's... I mean, he's put us in a, in a pretty bad spot. I mean, the, the only real positive on his on his resume over the last two years is that Nurkic trade. And yeah. I think that was – and he just got an extension this summer. I mean, right. if you look at his, uh, you know, this, this summer, you know, I don't know what kind of plan he had, but getting eight power forwards and, and taking <laughs> – or eight power forwards slash centers and taking columns over Malik Monk is probably not part of the plan. I would hope not. So, I mean, the execution there is – it's questionable, but I mean, that Nurkic trade probably saved his job. I, I would tend to agree with that. I think that Olshay is really, really solid at evaluating talent. Zach Collins to be determined. Um, he's good at evaluating talent, and he's really good at, at value deals, you know, bump singles. You know, Robin Lopez for the draft rights to Jeff Withy was a great move. Uh, obviously, the Nurkic trade, it seems like a home run. I mean, don't forget we got a first for that. Right. Uh, I mean, that trade was unbelievable. It, it was it, it was a steal. It, I don't think it was a bad trade for Denver either because he had tanked his value. But I mean, 
the thing is, is, is with Olshay, and I'm, and I'm going to put myself out there a little bit though, but with Olshay, you get a certain, you get a little bit of an act. And I think it's sort of wearing tired with some local yeah. people. Um, you know, Olshay wants to make sure that you know that, that he's in charge. And I, and I would like to say uh, when it comes to, you know, it came to that, uh, big rain of money that happened in, was that 2016? Yeah. Like, other than maybe the Pelicans, nobody mismanaged that, that situation worse than the Blazers. So I wanted to ask about that. Like, how much of that was 100% on Olshay, and how much of that was Paul Allen saying, like, no, I want to keep the team together, and I'm willing to pay for it. So it it is my directive that the team stay together. Uh, Obviously, we're not in the room at Vulcan, (laughs) which which is Paul Allen's company. But word is that Olshay sold Paul Allen on a plan to keep this team together. We need to spend the money. And obviously, all Allen needs to approve that, right? But he's not necessarily out there making you know day-to-day roster decisions. He's, he's fairly out of the, the, the picture for the most part. He really enjoys the draft, really enjoys the draft. But as far as free agency, he's not super involved the day-to-day. But Olshay mismanaged that. He, he really did. I mean... You, you know, a perfect example of who's responsible for that. When they made Evan Turner's offer, as the story goes, Evan Turner went to Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens and they said, man, you 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 have to take that. Go. <laughs> yeah. And what I, else would you say? It's true. You you would. That that is bad. I mean, this is going to sound like faint complete, but like you take away, though, that summer of 2016, which, again, will have real lasting effects. And some of that wasn't was timing. Right. I mean, they. They didn't expect to be as good as they were, and they ran into a summer where, like, suddenly they had all these overachieving players, and that was the wrong summer to have overachieving players. Like, to not to defend him on that, but there's there was a settlement of timing. You take that away, and like, I don't know, you got you got Lillard McCollum late lottery. He made the Nurkic trade, and he got some of these players that he then had to overpay. I mean, he got Mo Harkless for nothing, Aminu with a great contract, the one good contract on the team. You, you you include that. We'll see about this year's draft, but Caleb Swanigan sure looked pretty nice in summer league. Um, <laughs> it's like if you just erase like the one disaster summer, like I mean, you can't really do that. But it, I'm a little surprised that the feeling is a little negative because I feel like nationally there's a recognition that he's done a good job, and I, you know maybe some of it is what you guys talked about, where it's you know sort of he's out there and you want he's kind of. He wants to hear. He wants to know everything that's going on. He's sort of a big time presence, and maybe that is wearing thin, as opposed to other general managers that are maybe a little bit more in the shadows. I feel like it's the Danny Ainge model. Except Danny Ainge got better players. Yeah, no, I mean, I just mean like personality wise. Like, let people deflect to you, and ultimately, it opens up the organization and gives cover. Now, whether this is you know deliberate or not for the coaching staff, which you know is, is one thing, and Stotts is obviously a good coach, but that's. Um, yeah, and so is Stevens, I guess, for that matter. But anyhow, we, uh, I think that's interesting, though, with Stotts. Sorry to cut you off because there it does also circle back to like Lillard and McCollum, where it's like the four pillars of this franchise seem super stable, and yet the team is sort of in this they're okay with paying a lot of money stage. You know, is that something that you think is going to continue? I mean, it just it seems from the outside hard for me to believe that those four pillars are going to all be there in three years, but. You know, maybe I'm missing something. I think so much of this is expectation setting too, Mike. You know, like one of the things we keep talking about here is, is last season wasn't successful the year before the overachievement where they sit in the hierarchy of, of the middle. And you guys touched on that on that earlier. Um, 
you know, and I, one of the things, and, and Brian and Peter, we talk about the middle of the NBA all the time on this podcast and how bad it, it can truly be. And, and ultimately, that's why there's a draft reform being talked about now league-wide and, and really just ways to get out of this these teams like the Blazers, who have a couple good players who, who ultimately are a fun team to watch, but really don't have a prayer of, of even winning a playoff series, you know? Well, um, well, 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 well. No, I mean, look, they're not going to beat. They have a whole, prayer hard, of winning a playoff okay, series. Okay, it's hard for them to be in a series that they would have. <laughs> <Thank> you, <Mike. laughs> they have a prayer. All right, fine. But they, it'd be. I mean, the top two players in the other team could get injured again, so they have a prayer. That's true. That did happen. <laughs> if that's what you pray for, Mike. Bad. Shame on you. All right, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll get to the back end of this podcast uh, after a commercial break. This is the Blazers Preview Unlimited Upside Podcast. If you're like me, you know you have to shave, but you don't like doing it. The razors are expensive, the gel is expensive, you have to kind of switch them out a lot, and you cut yourself while shaving, you've got to use all this product in order to have your skin moisturized. It's just not a very fun experience, and it never was a fun experience for me, and I really didn't want a beard. That changed when the Dollar Shave Club came to my inbox. Dollar Shave Club is the smarter choice. It's got this great Dr. Carver shave butter. It feels really smooth coming off your skin. It actually makes the act of shaving fun, and I love that. And it's also a great deal. You can get a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. They send it to you in the mail. You don't have to go to the store. You don't have to get either a really expensive razor or a cheap disposable razor that gets a crappy shave. You don't have to do any of that. It comes right to your door. It's a great life hack and a great no-brainer choice. And it's got this amazing butter that feels so good on your skin. It almost doesn't look like shaving cream. It's nice and clear, and it just doesn't feel like shaving cream. And you don't have to get all those other products in order to have your face properly moisturized. It's a terrific deal. You get all the stuff you need in shaving in one with the Dollar Shave Club. And now, lucky you, for a limited time, new members get their first month of the Executive Razor with a tube of their Dr. Carver Shave Butter for only $5 a month with free shipping. And after that, razors are just a few bucks a month and you can quit at any time if you don't like it. That's a $15 value for only 5 bucks. And in that first month's box, you get an awesome weighty handle, a focus set of pork cartridges, and a tube of the shave butter, all for just 5 bucks. And after the first month, these replacement cartridges ship automatically at the regular price. No hidden fees, no commitments, cancel anytime you like. But you can only get this offer exclusively through the Limited Upside podcast. Go to dollarshaveclub.com slash upside in order to take advantage. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash upside. Dollar Shave Club, the smarter, more convenient, and more comfortable way to get a close shave. We're back. Portland Trailblazers preview on the Limited Upside podcast. We've got Brian Freeman and Peter Sampson from Blazers Edge. Brian played overseas. Peter is the host of Blazers Edge Radio. I want to go into 
my favorite set one of my favorite segments of all these shows the devil's bargain that we make you take this totally ridiculous hypothetical that is not something that ever happens in real life but it's also instructive uh to how the team is going and for the blazers this is what i'm going to ask you guys both let's say you've been given the right for one of these three players to main to shoot a lot of threes and shoot them let's say above average league-wide like over 38 percent or 39 percent and everything else stays the same and you basically have just gifted only one of these three players a jump shot which of these players would this be most important for the success of the team for and why between evan turner al farouk Aminu, mo harkless brian you're the jump shot genie who gets the jump shot and why evan turner over and over again easy easy choice for me um i mean harkless was Harkless was exactly 35% last year. Um, he actually got a trade kicker if he hit 35, so he didn't shoot three oh, That's in right. I forgot about <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> that was, that was right. hilarious. So I, I've memorized his three-point percentage forever. Um, 35. You know, and Amina was 36 two years ago. But, I mean, Evan Turner, I mean, he can do a, a lot of things in the court that, that actually could help you. And you look at his contract, and it's so terrible. But if he was a 39% three-point shooter, he, he might even have trade value. I mean that would just be an unbelievable addition to his uh, to his repertoire. So now yeah, for me, easy choice, give it to Evan Turner. I'm going to go somewhere different. I'm going to say Al Farouk Aminu, and uh, the reason being, Aminu he's not an elite defender, but he's a very very good defender. But more importantly, Aminu has <laughs> respect to Evan Turner, but Aminu has one of the ugliest three point shots in the league. He actually shoots. <laughs> worse with a defender further than six feet from him than being covered in any regard whatsoever. This is, this is verifiable NBA.com stats. You can see it. And he would also be a lot less likely to just decide like he does to just throw his head down and just drive into the lane and turn the ball over, which inevitably happens, you know, 1.8 times a game, you know, and in Stott's and Terry Stott's offense, everyone's got the green light. Now, that's awesome. Players don't have to worry about getting yanked for taking what's perceived as a bad shot. But when you have an offense that has Alfred Rucamino and Evan Turner possibly sharing the floor, yeah, maybe it's not so good that they have the green light to jack up 23-footers. So it's got, it's got to be Alfred Rucamino for me. But respect to Evan Turner. The Evan Turner's shot is just – it's the flattest possible shot for someone who thinks he's shooting a technically sound jump shot. Like, he's oh, never changed. He's never changed the way he shoots, even though it's legitimately 15 feet and in, it's fine. It's nice. And then the second he kind of gets to that like 18 to three, th- to three point range, no matter where it is, even corner, it's just, it's too long for him. And he has no arc on the shot. It's quite, it's exactly. Quite, it's, it's, a, it's a fundamental of his shot, you know, yes. and it's never going to change in, unless he totally changes his mechanics, in my yeah. opinion. You know, just like three weeks ago during the summer when it's slow, you know, sometimes you got to run some social media fodder on the, on the site. And we had an Instagram video of Evan Turner working on his three-point shot. And you know when players do that, you know, they just break off like 15, 16 threes in a row. Evan Turner thought it was fitting on Instagram to share that he made five of seven wide-open threes. That, that was <laughs> a, a success. So that tells you all you need to know. I guess that's to Brian's point. Yes. Someone needs an editor. Um, by the way, the, the Blazers have two of the sweetest shooting form, like visually jump shooters in, 
in the game. And so therefore they're cursed to have like a bunch of people who have, whether it's effective or not, super ugly forms yeah. between Turner and Aminu. <laughs> so I feel like the balance has worked out. Um, who is you most? Need, you need the ugly to appreciate the beautiful, Mike. That's true. Yeah. So it, again, it kind of works for the neutrals, maybe not for the supporters. <laughs> Who's most likely to shoot 38% from three? Without the wand. Well, can I put? Can I say Mark uh, Maurice Harkless? Is he still in this? Yeah, yeah. I would, def- I would definitely take Harkless. I would his, take, yeah, his, three, like, his three looks good. I mean, it's it's solid. I mean, he hit thirty five last year. I mean, that's that would be a, a nice jump for us. It's not out of the question. Amino and Turner hitting thirty nine is, is laughable. Yeah, because- Mo Harkless completely rebuilt his form last summer. Thirty five percent. It's respectable. I think he shot thirty eight percent one year, but then plummeted in the twenties. Amino was thirty six years ago. Aminu shoots like a catapult. And yeah, uh, yeah Mo Harkless has a nice solid form. I could see him jumping up three or four more percent. That'd be my take. It takes a little what while if, to get off, though. What if and, I threw a Noah Vonley into that into that mix? We're, we're most likely to hit 39%. No, 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 no. The previous question. Okay. Not likely, but if you could give that guy, he's 19, right? Or I'm sorry, 20 years old, maybe? Nine, 21. 22 years old. Yeah. He's 20, 21, 21 yeah. 22. Well, what's, yeah. When he was coming out of Indiana, everybody was kind of talking about his jump shot. It, it, yeah. it looks good. Like his mid-range was, was great. And he just kind of assumed that he would kind of develop into, you know, a big that could shoot it. And now he's more, you know, next to the basket and more, yeah. you know, pain-oriented than he's ever been. I really liked his game in Indiana, too. I, I always thought he was going to, like, probably, we probably have podcast evidence of me saying, like, he was going to be way better than he currently is. But I still think he could be a really good player. Um, I think he's shown some flashes, too. And he might actually benefit from playing alongside I got like Nurkic who can pass a lot better. Yeah, he played um, well last year, didn't yeah. at different points. This is um a question we got from uh also from Anno Carter. He asked when will the Blazers finally pull the plug on Von Lee's potential? I don't know. I thought he played decently well last year. Am I wrong? Uh sort of, but not entirely. <laughs> uh, you're correct in that once Nurkic arrived, Vonley looked infinitely better. Nurkic has such a, a good ability to play high low and find baseline cutters. Harkless and Vonley both really benefited. And I don't have it in front of me. I want to say Vonley averaged nine and seven after Nurkic's arrival. Um you know, but which is great. It's it's not really astounding. But we're talking about a guy who's putting up, you know, three and a half points a game over his career. The, the issue is Vonley is going to be a restricted free agent this year. The Blazers are capped out. they got to sign Nurkic. They drafted Collins. They drafted Swanigan. Vonley is not going to command a lot of money, but even if you're looking at three years, I don't know, $15 million, $5 million per, are you even willing to commit that when you have two first-round picks? I've actually yeah. heard that Olshay wants to have nine interior players next year, and so they, <laughs> might, they might end up keeping him. <laughs> Well, well Vonley is a shooter. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, all right, let's do another hypothetical here, and then we'll get to um, to our eventual banana boat uh, question. Um, okay, the last five, six years went in a particular direction, right? The Blazers have been cursed with not just you know, the Odin injury, but obviously Brandon Roy. Um, if Brandon Roy had stayed healthy, what does the last five, six years look like in Blazers history? And then second question on top of that is, why did the Blazers fans love him so much? And is, was it a love that's more or different than with Dame Lillard? I mean, we got to break some Blazer hearts here. I think we got to go back to, you know, that <laughs> was that 2000, 2001 series when we were in the Western Conference Finals ahead of the Lakers. Oh. Yeah, Kobe, Ali, Shaq, all that. Oh. But since, <laughs> like after that moment was, you know, it was kind of one of those, uh-oh, what do we have now? You know, that's that was kind of our chance. And so we went through this, was 11 years stretch where – we had the Jail Blazers. We had some pretty. I think we had a 26-win team in there. Steve Blake led the team in um, win shares. I mean, you just you kind of went through this kind of 
a decade long of, of struggle. And then all of a sudden, you know, we get the rookie of the year with the seven or nine pick or something like that. And, you know, it's Brandon Roy and he's, you know, Kobe's talking about, he's one of the hardest guys to guard and he's getting all this respect and it's, you know, a talent that we hadn't seen in, in you know, as I said, more than a decade. So I think, I think his, his emergence kind of in a dead period was just huge. So I think he's way more loved than, than Dame. And I actually don't think it's close. I, w- I would actually agree with that. And it can't be emphasized enough how down on this team fans were during the Joe Blazers era and Brandon Roy coming in in, in 2006 I mean, this is a perfect metaphor, but at a certain point, Zach Randolph at halftime of a game was complaining about not getting the ball. And Brandon Roy turned to him and just said, quote, shut up. And (laughs) that's a true story. And, you know, he led the team. He won Rookie of the Year. It was the beginning of not just some wins, but actually moving some of these guys, Zach Randolph and all all these guys, these jailblazers off the team. And I would agree that Brandon Roy is probably more beloved. I mean, don't don't forget, in, in 2008, there was a season. Brandon Roy was probably the third best guard in the league behind Kobe and Dwayne Wade. And there's also the myth of Brandon Roy. Brandon Roy only had a couple healthy years and just gone. He's an apparition. I mean, just gone because of the knees. But he gave us, just like Lillard has, so many you know highlight moments, you know, game winners back to the playoffs, even if we didn't win a series under him, you know, he took us to the playoffs three times and then was just gone. And, and because of that, I mean, Brandon Roy really led the team out of the darkness. I mean, at the same time, Paul Allen was trying to renegotiate the rights to the, the, at the time Rose garden, now Moda center. And there weren't, there wasn't anything really substantiated, but there were actual fears that the team might move. Seattle, had gone to Oklahoma City. Paul Allen's a Seattle guy. People were afraid that the Blazers were going to move. No one was showing up to the games. The team was terrible. And there were questions with the arena. And Brandon Roy led the led the product on the court. And at the same time, the sort of the off-the-court issues financially got fixed. And it was a really big deal for, for Blazer fans. I feel like there's going to be a whole generation of people kids like we're not kids and stuff but like high schoolers right now who really don't know how good brandon roy was now that's they sad will. to me yeah and he's that- yeah. yeah so yeah. smooth so smooth he, it wasn't <laughs> just that he was good he was uh, he, this is why i like think the parallel load is really interesting and I'm, I'm curious if we're gonna throw in more hypotheticals let's say like they switch sort of timelines and it was Damian Lillard that was drafted number seven in 2006 and he has to lift that up I think they are very similar in the way that they publicly perceive themselves uh Lillard probably has a little more of an edge uh Royals probably a little bit more had a little more grace I would say perhaps in his public persona they had very similar games I would say I mean you know, Roy obviously wasn't pulling up from 30 feet like Lillard does, but it's, you know, that's the way the game was played. They're both very much like these high-scoring guards that could just – you could run pick and roll with them. They were super versatile. They were kind of ones and twos, uh, doing a little bit of both. They had all these great moves. Um, they're very similar style of players, and I think it's very lucky that Portland had got both of them. Obviously very unlucky that – Roy's career was cut short. What would they have been like if they played together? That's what I really want to know. I mean, you just you just mentioned uh, they had switched spots, and I was my first thought was, man, CJ and Roy. Okay, Ooh. I, I like that. <laughs> that's the backcourt back I can get behind. 
Could do you think Dame could have handled like all the stuff that Roy had to deal with uh, to kind of like you were talking about lifting the franchise out of an era that was incredibly embarrassing? Could he have handled that the same way that Roy was able to handle that, or would he have handled it differently? No, I think he'd handle it the same. I mean, he's he's just built like that. He likes the you know the whole aura of you know they don't give me respect, you know nobody you know I'm undervalued, all that kind of stuff. Like he loves to put that chip on his shoulder. That's that's his edge. That's what drives him. You know, he talks about that all the time. He's very vocal about, about that being his thing. So in that same kind of circumstance where, you know, the team's been bad and he's just kind of you know, starting things up, I think he'd have really um, flourished in that kind of situation. Same. Yeah, it, it's definitely a, an all, one of the uh, more all-time NBA franchise what-ifs just for the sake of, you know, Roy never really had a chance with the way his knee was comprised. And that, that's just one of those sad things. Um I guess I also just read. Did he just go from the one high school to the other in coaching? Is that was he at this Nathan Nathan Hale and now he's at Garfield, like the two rivals within Seattle? And he basically went to one of them to coach the uh, Porter brothers. Anyhow, good I move. I think by so. Brandon, yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so. I can't say with one hundred percent confidence, but I but <laughs> I believe so. I remember watching that game on TV last year, watching him coach, and he was pretty cerebral in his coaching mannerisms too. It was very much an extension almost of how he played uh, the game. Yeah. That was that was. Um, it's funny, you know, Garfield and uh, Nathan Hale, I think were two of the top programs in the country last year, and, and he won the national title as a coach. So you can see that he's definitely the type of guy who would have been successful in any situation in any way that he could help. And it seems like Brandon Roy is finding his uh, his niche. So so good for him. Um, yeah, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, it does. Uh, it ends well with him helping the youth. Um, we but get to wait, the you kind of Kevin Durant did that one, though. Jumped to, he jumped to the well, it's yeah it's literally the, Seattle really City team. rivals yeah <laughs> uh, but he's going was, to Osama Mater he went to Garfield so that's, that's okay kind of the, all right so um, that's fair enough worse that he was coaching the, uh, the rival team to the state title but anyhow uh, with that in mind let's get to the banana boat because I'm pretty sure Brandon Roy or maybe he'd be on the boat I don't know but we do this every podcast now with every uh, team preview we try to figure out who our guests would want to have on a banana boat with them it's three other guys this is in Blazers history. You could put Bill Walton on there. You could put Brandon Brown. You could put Greg Oden on there. Whoever you want. It does not have to be about how successful they were as Blazers or how good they were in the NBA. Uh, it's the guys you want to hang out with, the people who you like as uh, fans of the Blazers. So, Brian, why don't you start us off? Um, my first, my first uh, group I was going to go with did have Rashid and Bill Walton on it, actually. <laughs> nice. That combination would just be extremely entertaining, but it also has a chance to go really, really wrong in front of Banana Boy. You can't really deal with that kind of drama. So, uh, hands down, guy I was going to take is uh, Arvita Sabonis. He's nice. one of the most loved people ever in Portland. He just seems like a terrific guy. Most of my best friends are Lithuanian, so I love the culture and all that. Uh, Did you actually another, play uh, there uh, where, um, in your many stops in Europe? No, I never played in Lithuania, but I, I played in Poland, so I was right next to it. So we had okay. Uh, I did play with the Lithuania at Long Beach, though. Uh, <laughs> anyway, and then I'm going to go, I'm gonna go Nurk number two. Another European. Um, he's kind of crazy, spunky. Seems seems like he'd just be an interesting guy to have. And then I'm gonna go with uh, Et uh, Evan Turner because I heard uh, I know Ben. I know you really like him a lot, so I'm sure you agree <laughs> with that. Um, but man, on, on Twitter this summer, he has just popped out as being one of the most interesting and exciting people. And I'm That's also true. not care what he has to say. That's true. He is good on social media. I'll give him that. He he's, he's very funny. You yeah. know, if he was, it, it's. It's unfortunate that his game is a little bit frustrating because he seems like he a really cool is. guy. 
does not have a podcast voice either. Sounds like Meatwad from from Aqua Team. Oh, so, oh. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well so, done. Hope. So Ben, you're gonna go up to him and you're gonna say, you know what? I know you make 17 million dollars a year to play basketball, <laughs> but like I've got a better podcast voice than you. Yeah. You hear this voice? You hear how it purrs? <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll have your revenge on him yeah. from all those years Another... in Philly. You tell him <laughs> you don't have a podcast voice. Mike, Mike got John Wall and I got Evan Turner. Think about that fan like fandom split. Yeah, Anyhow. but now you have Embiid and Simmons and Fultz. I don't feel sorry for you at all. <laughs> I know. I just John Wall's awesome. Um all right, cool. So uh <laughs> Peter, who are your uh, banana boat members? Well, Evan Turner obviously <laughs> is one. I mean, that's just a gimme. Uh, you know, you need someone with some edge. And then it's funny, he actually mentioned my other two. I promise we did this separately. Man, it's got to be Rashid and Bill Walton. Nice. Yeah. Got to be Rashid and Bill Walton. No one, you know, because when you're out, when you're hanging out, maybe trying to talk to the ladies, you need that one guy who talks in just pure hyperbole. And no one can do that better than Bill Walton. I'll never forget being a kid watching those old NBA on NBC broadcasts. I'll never forget him calling Eric Dampier one of the 10 greatest centers of all time. <laughs> and I was yes. just like, man, I need that guy in my crew immediately. And then what What can you say about Rashid, man? You know, yeah. both teams play hard, my man. Both teams play hard. Yeah. The wall's going to bring Oh, yeah. Okay. He's not going to close the deal, but he's the one. Like, they're going to be intrigued. They're going to be like, well, what the hell is up with yeah. this better guy? Better bring his MVP trophy. <laughs> See, I feel like. He would just be the fascination, and they'd just all pay attention to him and not to you. And he just, everybody would sort of flock to him. I mean, and like any seven footer you're walking around with, Mike, they're going to be like, hey, look, a seven footer, and that, that must be his agent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, Bill Walton, I feel like it doesn't really matter who the other two people are. You kind of just need him on the boat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah he, the thing about Walton is he would just cheer me on while I'm trying to close the deal. I'd be talking to someone, he'd just be like, throw it down, big man. Yeah. <laughs> like the majestic evils in the woods of Netherman. Yeah, he would just <laughs> my, my friend Peter is the greatest lover in the world. <laughs> Helen of Troy, or, or uh, Julius Caesar has nothing on him. Casablanca has nothing on him. Wait, what was the... What was the uh, so there's one classic, and you may have been alluding to it earlier. The Boris it, Dio? Just, it's Boris Dio, yes. The Boris Dio, like, soliloquy or, or like, you know, a uh, uh, four-and-a-half-minute embrace. It's Boris Dio, and it wasn't even, you know, peak Boris Dio. Yeah. Um, I see. Right, I feel but, like you want Walton and Rashida and then a third person that's kind of just laughing all the time. Yeah, I got to throw in a couple guys here. Uh, number one, there's no jailblazers on this, and that's a, that's well, a problem. Rashid. I mean, I'm thinking more like Darius Miles. I'm thinking more when they were really bad. Not when she... They were very good with she, too, prior to trouble. Like, I'm thinking in my head... Yeah, Bonzi Wells. Give me someone like that who I know can get me the illicit things I'm looking for when I'm partying. I'm just kidding. Damon Stoudemire. <laughs> Damon Stoudemire. Yes, great one. Uh, so we could go like Kintel Woods, Bonzi Wells, and yes. Darius Miles and actually have like uh, dog fighting on the stage of a strip club sort of thing. <laughs> That Whatever sounds... you want to get into. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to go ahead and take a step back right now. Yeah. I'm trying to think of guys from the early 90s, too. I feel like we might be missing some good ones. Like, is Terry Porter a cool guy? Are we like, do we like Clyde Drexler? Like, I mean, I feel like he's an all-timer, right? Um, Jerome Kersey. Duckworth seemed like like the party. What's that? Jerome Kersey, rest in peace. Yeah, true. Good point. Good point. Um, and, you know, so Cliff Robinson seems like a nice guy, too. It's good characters. A franchise blessed with some good characters. That's... That's for sure. No shortage of banana boat 
uh, options uh, there. So we should probably get to the, the, the final part here, guys. We, uh, you want to ask some, some questions, good... by the way? Oh, yeah, I tried to skip some questions. We did get a bunch of questions. Yeah, Mike, give me some yeah, Twitter sorry. questions. Yeah, we, sorry. We did get a bunch of questions. I want to make yeah. sure we yeah. recognize everyone yeah, right who sent them in. We, we talked about a lot of these things, um, but I want to make sure I get some of these in there. Courtney, oh, yeah, we didn't really talk about the draft, really. Laz, our, our friend Laz Jackson, who was on the Pistons podcast, asked, like, kind of, why are they trading up for Zach Collins? Like, what was up with that? Is, is it universal that that draft was a little confusing to people, or there's some people that defend that? Oh, that was that was such a roller coaster. Uh, I mean, if you have we had 15, 20, and twenty six. I mean, anytime you can change up uh, twenty and fifteen to move up in the draft, I think that's an obvious yes. Um, so you know, when they announced there was a trade, Blazers moved up. We were ecstatic for two reasons: one, that's a great trade, and second, Malik Monk is still on the board. Malik Monk was, I mean, he's, I mean, he was he was super high up on a lot of draft boards. He was high on mine. I was excited about him. Um, we don't take him. And so we don't take the best player available. But, you know, we had Crab Lillard and um, CJ at the time. So I guess, okay, you don't want another little, another little guard. And then we end up cutting Crab, basically, or trading him for a contract. And now we, once again, for the fifth time, we sit with all these big men. And uh, right now, Malik Monk would just be a perfect addition for us. So, I mean, that draft was – that draft was uh, – Tough to swallow. Yeah, it was it was rough. My radio show, we did a, a live event draft night at a local sports bar, and it's packed. People are hyped. I get to announce, like, ladies and gentlemen, we have a trade, blah, 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 blah. And then we <laughs> announce the pick, and it is just silent. And you just hear from the back of the room three or four people just booing ever so quietly. <laughs> no exaggeration whatsoever. People, and it, it makes sense that maybe you're hedging against Nurkic, but with Malik Monk on the board, I. I don't know, man. I don't know. And I, I think, mean, I mean, I, I think Zach Collins is going to turn out to be a good player. I mean, I think he was better than the 15. He would have went before the 15th pick if we wouldn't have taken him. So it still makes sense to trade up, you know, 15, 20. But you got to, you got to either do fit or get best player. You got to do one of them. You can't stock your front court and not take the best player. That just, it just made no sense. Well, O'Shea has a good track record with these sorts of things. So I think. You know, there's reason in, in some areas. I think that he doesn't, but this, I think, he generally has drafted well, right? I mean, that is sort of maybe that is a little overstated. Um, also, um, Malik Monk's got a ser- potentially serious injury now, so maybe they knew something about him that uh, people didn't. But yeah, certainly when you look at it, on that paper, would be ironic, right? Wouldn't that be if the Blazers knew ahead of time about another player's injury and did not draft him? Uh, anyhow, sorry, guys. Shit, no, I feel horrible. I, I have the least amount of uh, animosity towards the Blazers when it comes to injuries and stuff as a Sixers family. I don't even, I said that and then immediately felt bad about it and think I probably <laughs> just hurt the Sixers chances of staying healthy. See, so ben, that was a terrible. Ben's trying so, to take all this, the Blazers in, injury sympathy votes and redirect them <laughs> to his favorite team. He's concerned throwing be, a little bit right now. We can be like, um, we can be like, uh, exactly. Like we can be like spirit animal fan bases in a way. Like Blazers can root for the Sixers and vice versa. I'm trying to attract as many, uh, um, you know, partners in crime here, Mike, as possible. Sure, I we'll guess do, so. Do, so. Anyhow, all right, we'll do the predictions now. This is the part we should we should always get to because we want to get you guys on the record. Uh, and who knows, maybe you'll be back on here later in the year talking about the first round of the playoffs or, or down the line even, in, you know, maybe the NBA finals, right, guys? So we can we can do predictions, best and worst case scenarios, um, and, and really just tell us where you kind of see this season going here. This is a uh, win totals will be the predictions here um, for a number. You don't have to give us like a, too much uh, to get too crazy. So just win total prediction and then uh, best worst case scenario for the team. 
Sure. So I think it's going to be a better season than last season, but I don't know that that's necessarily going to translate into more wins. The Western Conference is so tough. Uh, win total, I'm going with 43. I'm taking the over by half a game. I think that Nurkic is going to make the defense better, but not necessarily good enough. Um, and that Portland is still going to struggle on that end. I don't see an Aminu, a Turner, a Harkless improving on their three-point shot. Portland's going to miss that outside shooting, that outlet when uh, defenders collapse on Lillard and when they collapse on McCollum. Best case scenario is that Nurkic takes an even further step. He's only 23. He take, he jumps to the next level. He averages, you know, 19 and 12 with two blocks a game and doesn't get hurt. Another, you know, Lillard continues to, to do his thing. McCollum somehow finds another gear. And then one of those eight big men finally pops to either be traded or actually make a difference on the court at the power forward position. Worst case scenario is Nurkic gets hurt, Nurkic pouts again, Lillard or McCollum decide they're tired of not playing with players that, are, that aren't good enough. They've already started to recruit a little bit. They're not satisfied with the roster. Maybe what we talked about earlier, and I don't think Brian and I saw it as realistic, that maybe they would start to get frustrated, but maybe that happens. Um, so a best and worst win total. I would put a best case scenario at 49. I'd put a worst case at probably about 38. Realistically, I have them somewhere between seven and 10. Yeah. Thorough. Go ahead, bro. <laughs> For me, I think you got the top five in the West, you know, Golden State, San Antonio, Houston, Minnesota, OKC. Portland's not catching them. But then you kind of have Denver, Clippers, Utah, Memphis, Dallas, New Orleans, kind of that next tier. I mean, Denver, Denver, Clippers, and Utah all lost from their top two players this year. Um, Denver was the only one that kind of replaced it talent-wise, but you know Portland's bringing back the whole team um, for the most part. Every single person, you know, if you look at 26 or 27 years old as your prime, Turner's the only one that's in it. So I expect a lot of um, a lot of growth within the team. I think we can pull out that sixth seed. Um, so I would say that's a, the best case scenario is we get that top that sixth seed. Uh, worst case scenario. Uh, I mean, I have, a, I have a friendly bet going on with Adam Mars for the Denver Stiffs. The worst-case scenario is uh, we finish behind the Nuggets. <laughs> uh, I got bad news for you all. I think you're going to uh, yeah. finish behind the Nuggets. Uh, Mike, Mike, I want to get your perspective here, too. Where do you think they finish with the, in respect to New Orleans, the Nuggets, and Minnesota? Well, they're, I would say they're definitely better than New Orleans. I think New Orleans is in real trouble now that they've lost Solomon Hill, and I wasn't exactly high on them before. They signed Tony Allen. No, I'm just kidding. It's okay. Yeah, it's right. So if the three-point line is like at the free throw line, they're going to be awesome. Um, Must be a half-court shot. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they're probably worse than both Denver and Minnesota. Um, I would probably put them behind Utah as well, although I think they could fight with them. I think Memphis is still going to be heard from. Um, so I, I think they're going to get the eight seed again, Portland. Uh, and I think 43 sounds about right. What do you think they rank in offense and defense this year? Um, what did they rank last year? I should probably check that before I ask that question. Uh oh, without numbers right now. Do you have that? I, I'm looking it up. Google. Don't don't worry. Yeah, last year they were. Um, oh, they're only 11th in offense and 24th in defense, so they were slightly worse than 500. I thought they would be better in offense. So 11th and 24th. Uh, what is more likely to improve this year um, between those two? I think the defense is more likely to improve, but not by a lot. You know, we lost Alan Crabb, who was not a good defender, but but more than that, he was a solid three-point shooter. 
even if he didn't shoot enough. But so we've lost a negative defender. The defense really improved. You know, Nurkic, he's not athletic. He doesn't have, I mean, he can barely jump off the ground, barely jump over a deck of cards, but he's a big body. He helps protect the paint when inevitably CJ and Dame are broken down on the pick and roll. He does a decent job there. I don't see them improving big time. I could see them maybe moving to number 20. But there was a point last season, you know, it, it, by cr- around Christmas time, they were the worst defensive team oh, in the yeah. league, and it wasn't really that close. Oh, yeah, they were uh, so dreadful I, for the first half of the year. I mean, just awful. So bad. So bad. So I could see them maybe falling to maybe number 14 on offense, but moving up to number 20 on defense. And I yeah, put I think, a, I think about in the same place overall. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree with that. I mean, you're not getting – we didn't really bring in anybody. Losing Crab will help our defense quite a bit. But as I said, you know, we, we have a pretty young team. You know, Dame, Dame hasn't even hit his prime yet. So I expect some some progress still. I expect this to be better than we were last year. I think the beginning of the year was just such a such a joke, such such an ab, you know such an abnorm, abnormality to what to what I think this team is probably going to do. And I don't think we're as good as we were at the end, but we're definitely not as bad as we were in the beginning. Yeah. So. Um, I'll, I'll say we're we're a little bit better at both, probably uh, more so on defense. I, I believe the Blazers are one of five. Mm, it's either five or six teams in the NBA that are going to be average age under twenty five years old for the entire roster. Um, okay. Like you could probably rattle off the other ones. It's probably like Phoenix, the Sixers, the Bucks, and somebody else. But anyhow, yeah. Um, so right, uh, you've talked me into raising them yeah. to the seventh seed. Yeah. There you go. Boom. I'm gonna put easy, the, I'm gonna put them ahead of Utah and probably regret it and probably change my <laughs> mind later on. Thanks for doing that, Mike. Just yeah, just yeah, yeah, just yeah. for you. Up. I, I want to see this team in the playoffs. Like I, I just I like watching them play. You know I I like that they exist where they are, and that probably is not something that Portland fans want to hear. I just kind of like I, I don't want to see them play the Warriors again because I, I I just I've been there done that. But I I no, like to see them in the playoffs. Uh, we don't. <laughs> and these these numbers come providing or assuming that Nurkic is going to be healthy, right? Because yeah. yep. you know if he's not healthy, not, these numbers are. No, we never project injuries on this podcast, fellas. Right, that's not <laughs> just to each other. <laughs> just to each other, yeah, right. But uh, all right, cool. This was this was fun. Uh, Brian Freeman, Peter Sampson, Blazers Edge. Uh, you guys are great guests. We uh, we had a lot of fun here. Um, Mike, who's coming up next? We got one another team. I'm actually really excited by Milwaukee is up next. Uh, and that is going to be an interesting team this year um, because they have my favorite player in the NBA that does not play for the Wizards, <laughs> and that is uh, John Henson. Matthew Dovadova, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> Matthew Dovadova. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's not, it's not Matthew yeah. Dovadova. It's no, Giannis. Well, I, oh, I thought you were going to make people wait till next podcast to find out who that was, Mike. Yeah, that would be like the worst cliffhanger <laughs> ever. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, guys, thank you so much uh, for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Uh, anything you want to plug here, um, by all means, the floor is yours before we uh, before we leave. Sure. If you're interested in weekly Blazers talk, you can uh, listen in Portland 107.1 X-Ray FM, Blazers Edge Radio, every Tuesday at noon. Or you can stream it worldwide at xray.fm. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brian Freeman 24 I have a column with Blazers Edge that I, I kind of talk about uh, a lot of situations that you would only know from a player standpoint, like uh, dealing with injuries and chemistry and all that kind of stuff, which has kind of gotten the kick out of people. So uh, I might want to check that out. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we uh, we look forward to uh, you know reading that, listening to that, 
and promoting you guys. We love what you guys do at Blazers Edge. You're one of the best SB Nation communities we have going. So uh, we, we always appreciate the great work uh, coming from you all. And uh, best of luck in the upcoming season. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. Oh.